and welcome to Babes with Balls, a podcast about the gutsy women calling Australian sport their own. I'm Sarah. And I'm Taylor. And today we're joined in studio by Olympian sailor Carrie Smith. Carrie, welcome to the studio and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. So exciting to be here. Thanks for coming in. How are you? I'm good. Keeping cold in this warm weather. <laughs> I am. I am. I have been out on the water actually just before I came in. So it's been a beautiful day out there today. But um, I want your job in summer. That's yeah, all I'm I know. Say. Not in winter. Not in winter. No one wants it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no. These days make it a lot easier. So it's been good. So Carrie, we're just going to start off with. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Who am I? So uh, I'm originally a Perth girl, so I grew up in Perth, but I'm currently working in Melbourne. So I grew up sailing. Sailing is a sport that's very family orientated. I guess I was very lucky at a young age to be quite successful in my sport. We have a thing called the Youth World Championships, which is the number one national champion for each class for under 18 and that one representative gets to go to these world championships. It's probably our highest honour at a youth level and I was really lucky to be able to go to three of them, which uh, for most people is very uncommon. I think after <laughs> one, it's not just luck. Yeah, exactly. And um, yes, yeah, so I was really lucky to go to them and on my third and final one, as I was ageing out, I won them. So I was very lucky then to be springboarded into our Olympic team at a very young age. So I actually moved over to Melbourne when I was 18 and I joined the team and I trained really, really hard. Um, Obviously had the Olympics in sight, but wasn't sure if I was going to make it in that first cycle. As as again, it can be pretty rare. And um, I was lucky enough to be teamed with a a girl named Jamie Ryan. And yeah, we did a a good enough job overseas over those four years and, and in our trials and lucky enough to end up in Rio and represent Australia, which was pretty cool. That's so exciting. Yeah, it was awesome. And um, yeah, now I'm I'm coaching here in Victoria and sort of like giving back to the sport and those next generation of sailors that, you know, want to achieve the same as what I have. Well, you're 25. Are you 25? 24. 24. Yeah. And you've done it all already. <laughs> well, you've been to the Olympics. You're now coaching yeah. and putting back into the community. But before we touch on the Olympics, you did say at the start that it's family orientated. Who in your family really inspired you to actually take sailing up? Yeah, it was interesting with this podcast being all about empowering women and and women in sport. It was actually my grandma. So on my dad's side, my grandma was uh, still, should I call it, in the vintage of uh, (laughs) of the era where there was a line down the middle of the bar. She wasn't allowed to cross it. Um, She wasn't allowed to be a member. She was only allowed to, you know, have that lady sort of pass. And she steered our family boat and my grandpa always backed her in because he always said she was better than he was and so she steered in every Saturday's racing and the results were never counted when she steered and so she went on doing that for like her whole career until uh, enough was enough and enough people saw how amazing she was and they started to acknowledge her on the race course and congratulate her in the in the uh, presentations at the end of the day and finally she was actually the first WA uh, lady to be counted in the results and be seen like as a skipper of a boat. So, wow. yeah, what it's really cool. 
oh yeah I'm not too yeah, sure to be honest yeah I know it it's quite a while I'd say but we still have the it was in the newspaper and we still have that and yeah and that's like hearing that story once I was old enough to understand the challenges female have in sport really sort of resonated with me that this is really something special and no wonder she cries and gets all excited when I talk sailing with her so yeah she was a big driver and then obviously my dad has been the number one support and my mum always just says she washes the wetsuits and um, and cooks for me at the end of the day because she does not have sea legs at all. So <laughs> Cannot be underestimated though. Everyone plays their part, I imagine. Exactly, exactly. So that's certainly a bit of a unique story, I suppose, or more of a on a personal level. Yeah. Um, is that a common sort of story that people tend to roll up through the sport, through family connections? Yeah, I think um, it's very hard. Our sport is very complex in terms of you have to be physically fit and you have to be a certain size and a certain you know, height and weight and then you have to be able to read the weather, which a lot of people don't think about, you know. You might be the next Jane Bung in the future. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, no, you have to be able to really watch the weather, understand what's going on out there and also the tactics and strategy of racing, you know, being able to fight for your position and, and fight around a race course. So it has a lot of elements that is really hard to ingrain into people that aren't sailors and don't have that natural feeling and ability it certainly is possible to a degree but to an olympic level it's always proved to be pretty hard to do so you had to make a sacrifice and move to melbourne yeah was that hard for you yes and no i think i obviously when i said i started doing quite well at a young age i was actually 13 when i started to head overseas so i did two overseas trips a year during school and then in my final year of school we were up to about the three three overseas trips a year so I guess you already started making sacrifices. Like I didn't go to my year 11 dance. Like I was overseas for all the school trips that they do. So I'd already been quite used to it. There was definitely some non-negotiables that I had with my coaches. But yeah, you start to make sacrifices pretty early in our sport. Very similar to gymnasts, actually. I always sort of refer to them when it comes to this sort of stuff. And then, yeah, I guess the move to Melbourne was just another exciting step because I was, you know, heading on a journey that I was really excited about but yeah sacrifices the entire time but that's sport. Let's just filter back to uh, the 2016 Olympics which is obviously I won't put words in your mouth but was it the highlight of your career so far? Yep for sure. Great. Yep. Talk us through what it was like being selected for that and then when you arrived what was the vibe like how was it being quite young going into the Olympic Village how was it for you Uh, obviously it was amazing in a sporting sense but how was it for you emotionally? Yeah I was the youngest in our team and we were the youngest crew combination by quite a while. Yeah we were very blessed to be able to go at such a young age that's for sure but the Olympics is something else you know people say to you you've just got to pretend it's another regatta it's just another event you've trained for this you know you've done all the media training you've done all of the pressure tests you know a lot of my friends joke that I'm always very calm and collected when it comes to stressful situations but 
I think that's just ingrained in you when you become an athlete at a high level. You know, I'll never sort of try to act stressed or flustered. And so I thought to myself, you know, it's nothing I haven't done before. But when you get there, it is just such a different energy. I think there's a lot more external pressures put on. So that definitely changes things. Like you already have that sort of high expectation of yourself. But then I guess the media at it and then beloved social media, that is definitely (laughs) something that adds a lot of pressure. Um, We switched ours off just because a lot of people have a lot of opinions. But from back home, there was a lot of cheering, but it's just not something we were used to. So we didn't need it. But it's just small things. Like I didn't know that leading into the last 24 hours into the opening ceremony, all the lights in every stadium, including our yacht club we use, are turned off. The whole place is in lockdown and no one's allowed to go there. And I was thinking to myself, you know, like, is it a security thing? What's going on? And when we stood there at the opening ceremony and the the flame and, and the torch came and they just sort of lit the cauldron every arena then gets turned back on and the lights you know come alight and the energy and the screaming and I just thought to myself oh my god this you know a world does not stop like a city does not stop like that in any other sort of sporting arena or political arena or anything like that so I think small things like that really added up to make the experience you know something completely different to you know, even what you see on TV. But being there, yeah. I didn't I told myself I wouldn't cry and then when the cauldron was lit and everyone started cheering and I turned over and Serena Williams was standing next to us, I just thought, Oh Lord <laughs> like, so We exciting. are here and it is on. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. few tears. Well, a few tears. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was tears from your parents and yeah. um, supporters as well. But there was a large amount of media attention leading up to the 2016 Olympics to whether, well, it was in Rio and whether Brazil could actually pull off a worldwide event. What were your thoughts leading up to it? Yeah, uh, we obviously had to be very well trained on what to say because it is hard to host an Olympics, you know, financially and just with all the infrastructure. So we were kind of of the opinion, you know, we really hope they can pull it off for their own sake, but it was going to be a very hard venue for us to sail at because there was an inside course under Sugarloaf Mountain and then there was the outside course, which was just the wide ocean. And so we actually got an email a few months earlier saying, you know, we would love it to be in Rio, but just hold up, we could take it back to London and just use their infrastructure and just get the Olympics done. And a lot of people didn't ever get told that or you know that didn't catch on in the media as much because they tried to keep it as positive as possible but yeah so much media attention and we had so much around the water quality I mean the water quality was awful we can talk about it now and say that it was horrible but you know we had to say and we tried to stay as positive for our own well-being to be like oh the water's fine like it's great sailing conditions it's so positive and happy and you know everything's going to plan whereas there's definitely hiccups along the way you know there was guys out in boats trying to clean the rubbish out one bit by one bit in the bay you know it was just a third world country in some regards and then you go to other areas where it was like the richest of rich so very culturally different and I think trying to hold an Olympics in a place like that that is quite corrupt and unstable they did an amazing job to pull it off. Well a lot of people also questioned whether they had 
the right safety yeah. for the athletes. Yeah. Did that ever cross your mind? Yeah, we had um, a few of our athletes held at gunpoint at stages leading in because uh, a lot of people don't realise we spend months there. So we spent three months leading in just living there. We didn't come home. And then before that, we did many trips before. And so, yeah, when there wasn't the security of the actual two weeks of the Olympics, you were kind of having to fend for yourself. And we did our best. Our sailing team did an amazing job to keep us as safe as possible. But I always crossed your mind all the time. But we just put things in place, like only travelling in twos or threes, not going out at night unless we took the private cars that we knew the drivers were safe, you know, things like that. But, again, we still stand by to this day that we've been to many countries in Europe and America that are just as unsafe in those situations, you know, walk around with a laptop in your bag, well, and it's flashing, you know. Get pickpocketed. Yeah, it's probably (laughs) going to happen here in Melbourne, let's be honest. So there is that element to it where it just is what it is in this day and age as well. So putting yourself in that situation how do you keep yourself sane oh the fun the funniest part is so a a few weeks out from the olympics and i haven't told many people this but um so you know how the zika virus became such a big thing well being so young you don't have to worry about um you know us but some of the others that you know there was partners trying to get pregnant things like that but they gave us so adidas all of a sudden did this last drop of uniform and because you usually get uniform six months out like sometimes even a little bit earlier and so we got this top and it's bright yellow full sleeve full collared like I'm talking the most ugly yellow you've ever come across and it has you know full branded that it had the Rio Olympics Australian team and on the packet it says Zika top so we all looked at it and we were like (laughs) they literally are going to make us wear this so we don't get pregnant because it's so ugly and people will think it's the most gross thing ever and we all put it on and it was like literally looked like a yellow wiggle but it's just (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Best form ever. We all put them on and we were like, no one would even go out in public in this, let alone a mosquito biting us. So here we are. Have you kept the uniform? I have. I still have that top because I'm like, I can't bring myself to give it to someone like because obviously when you gift people some of your uniform which is pretty rare because you try to hold on yeah, to you it hold on to it and keep them i just feel sorry for whoever gets that yellow top but so. <laughs> but i have a question for you look i don't really know much about the sailing world yep. but how do you get chosen to represent Australia? Yeah, it's a question um, that does come up a little bit and it's not one I reckon they should do more education around how you get selected for an Olympics because it is quite a detailed process. Mm. And but especially because of sailing, like for athletics there's like meets, for yeah. tennis there's tournaments. What, so so we have World Cups. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's 12 World Cups a year, give or take, depending on the year and the cycle. But um, yeah, there's, there's World Cups and then there's our World Championships. So there our biggest pinnacles in the year and then our nationals um, in some sports mean a lot for us they mean absolutely nothing so it's quite interesting in different sports so for the olympics you can get uh, selected two years out and all the way leading into literally may with the olympics being in august so it 
can be very close as well. And the World Cups, uh, you have to hit a certain quota, a um, certain percentage in the top, so say top six, top 10, top 20, whatever it might be, they will pull the selection criteria out for you and then you have to go and achieve it. And then there's a different quota for the World Championships as well. So then you have to represent your country and qualify your country first. So for us, um, I'd actually been out of the boat for close to a year, um, very sick. And so it was um, a big comeback story in our sport because no one thought we were going to get there. We started to really improve and started to do so well. And then I just felt really ill and um, I wasn't able to walk or even get to sailing for at least eight months of that. And so we always talk about one of our, you know, we're talking about the pinnacle of your and that sort of career highlight. I think my biggest one is this because I spent so long out of the boat. I did everything I could mentally and physically when I was physically capable to try and still achieve my goal while being sick. But um, it was only about two weeks before our last chance to qualify Australia. We had our world championships in Israel and I obviously hadn't been in the boat and I turned to my crew and I said like we're going I've been cleared and we hadn't sailed in so long and then we got what we had to achieve and it was top 10 um, countries and at the time the ranking came out that it was literally also top 10 in the world because there was one country in each of those spots there was no double ups which normally does happen and they'll say like top 10 countries but it could be top 25 because there's you know 12 British teams or whatever so I was like oh goodness we've got to make top 10 in the world um we had never been above 15 so I was like oh here we go I've been sick for a year and now they're expecting us to pull this and I think that just shows the power of your mind because it's something we wanted so badly and we finished ninth so qualified the country and then that puts you in good stead to qualify yourself as an individual and Australia then chooses who they send so in many cases someone can qualify the country and then the their federation can turn around and say well no we're going to send the other some very political in some regards but yeah they tick a lot of boxes what an incredible story but in those eight months where you weren't sailing and you couldn't actually physically get out of bed yeah and go on the boat yeah did you ever lose a little bit of hope yeah for sure I think um I actually I had a perforated stomach and so that's very rare and very abnormal thing to happen to someone so young but it was just a complication I had had in a surgery so it was just completely out of the blue and something completely out of my control which I think was the thing that annoyed me the most like athletes love to be in control of the situation so first of all I thought no no way like we're kind of done here the you know everything all your ducks have to be in a line to to really get to an olympics and i thought this is where it crumbles for this cycle and you know we've got to wait another five or six years for the turn again but then there was parts of me that was like, nah, I can still do it. We're still far enough out. And I did a lot of psych work. I did a lot of theory and, um, yeah, physical stuff when I could. How do you convince yourself that you're well enough to go back, that you are able to jump back in the boat? And then 
from that convince your teammates that you're able to hold up your end of the bargain. Yeah, I mean, hats off to the girl I sailed with, Jamie. She's a legend because... Shout through, out to Jamie. Yeah, because <laughs> this whole process, uh, it, it was worse for her than it was, was for me because she obviously still had to carry on with her fitness and her training, but it wasn't with her partner and she didn't know if, you know, I could have easily taken that opportunity away from her just by being sick. So I think a lot of adrenaline and, yeah, I think you just sort of have this moment of I've just got to suck it up and do it. And I say to people even today, like athletes and some more than others, have very high pain thresholds because I think you just sort of train yourself to zone that pain out of your body and out of your mind and just get the job done. And you're in a world of hurt after. I'm not sugarcoating it, but um, for that moment while you're competing, for sure, you just try and block it out as much as you can. Same with noise, like, you know, at an AFL game. Same with, um, you know, other people heckling you or same with social media. You just do everything you can in your control to just block it out. Having gone through that experience... What was the best piece of advice ever, you would say, that you've been given in relation to your sport? Is there something that you come back to? Yeah, all the time. I always come back to if you're not enjoying it, you need to stop because I don't think you can achieve anything in life unless you're enjoying it. Like I really don't believe even in careers and things that you can be really successful and get up every morning and do your best job uh, when you're not loving it. So I've always said to myself, the moment I don't enjoy something, I'll stop doing it. And I've stuck by that so far. So (laughs) uh, keep you posted on that one. But yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. And then my second one, um, especially when you come through challenges is like everything happens for a reason and as cliche as it is it is exactly what happens in life and when you're presented with challenges I always just thought well this has happened for a reason I need to figure out what that reason is whether it's I need to give my body a rest I need to get that hunger and that fight back or you know simply you need to just take a step back and maybe you've jumped ahead of yourself you know whatever it might be I just think there's always a bottom line to it that you can sort of nut out without overthinking it yeah for sure well correct me if I'm wrong here but your preferred boat is the 470 what other Olympics well sailing boats are there and how does the 470 defer? Yeah, so I sell, so the 470 is a two-person dinghy, so there's different categories. So dinghies, a lot of people say are the slower boats <laughs> um, and then you have skiffs, which are the very fast and exciting ones. Um, they're all the ones my friends always want to have a go on. And then you have things like an RSX, which is a windsurfer, um, NACRA, which is two hulls. They fly through the air. They're very fun. So yeah, mine was um, very much a technical boat. Like you had to race them very technically savvy um very like fine details and big fleets now that you've competed in the olympics what changed after it and when you got home yeah coming home is very strange because uh the world doesn't stop um and people don't realize what you've just done and what you've achieved and it's interesting talking to some of my friends that won medals you know i had had one friend say to me you know i literally came home and she hadn't owned a car because we spent so much time away. And so she found herself on a bus and um, she had her medal tucked under her jumper because she had been to speak to school kids. And she just sort of got to me when she said to me in a conversation, you know, 
all these people in this bus have no idea what's around my neck right now and what this means to me and what it has to achieve, you know. People are just getting on with their day-to-day life. So, yeah, there's an element of well, you've just got to get on with it and um, other parts, you know, you ride the high and went on an amazing holiday and just chilled out and enjoyed, you know, a bit of time to with my family was the main thing afterwards. But, yeah, it is a strange disconnect from from your little bubble that you put in and all of a sudden back into the real world yeah I bet I bet and this is just about all we've got time for but what's next for you you said that you're coaching at the moment are you planning on competing in any upcoming regattas or what's what's the plan for you yeah so um I won't be competing anytime soon I'm taking a bit of time out um giving the body some rest and um yeah as you said I'm coaching now so I am I've been working with our Australian youth team so the under 18 kids um we took them overseas on a big trip which was cool and they did uh, a world champion and a few other bits and pieces and um, I'm coaching here in Victoria so helping run run the program and and get kids to the level that they want to achieve so I'm working in the high performance area I'm one of only two females that are in high performance Woo-hoo! coaching so good on you yeah we've got to boost those numbers I think because um yeah it's something that we our sport definitely needs to get better at and um and grow that equality so I'm doing my part um yeah, I'm following also... in your grandma's footsteps as well yeah she was obviously the first woman <laughs> in WA yeah and now look at you first yeah well, yeah female in the workforce yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah as coaching it's um it's crazy but yeah it's it's cool, but the sport has a long way to go, but we'll get there. So I think I'm just helping encourage that message. And I was lucky enough to become the face of our She Sales program, which is um, to encourage women in our sport from every level, from participation up to performance. So I guess, yeah, that's an exciting We haven't point. been stalking you, but on your Insta, you recently had an interview with Sam Mack for Sunrise <laughs> and a certain picture oh. went viral. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit well your side of the story and what happened? Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> our call time was like 4.30 in the morning. We're up in Hamilton Island and um, we were on Sunrise promoting this female... Yeah, it's a bit ironic, isn't it? We're promoting females in sport and all of a sudden I was talking with my hands but it was under the camera line and... Um, one of our f- ladies that was working with us um, from the social media team up at Hamilton Island took a photo of me talking, but it just happens my hand placement has sort of cupped the wrong area <laughs> of Sam Mac. Like, yeah, so it was a lot. Um, ended up Daily Mail, a new idea, and it just sort of got a bit out of hand, really. And, yeah, it's a bit strange, but it was a lot of fun and we had a laugh about it. So Instagram the crashed and we moved on. The cupping was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit of fun. Can't complain. We We had fun with it, but, yeah silly things get on the internet don't they they do indeed (laughs) well thanks so much for coming on Carrie we really appreciate your time no worries thanks so much for having me girls I'm very honoured to be a part of it we can't wait just to follow you and see where you go (laughs) thank you thanks so much Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Babes With Balls. We're Taylor and Sarah and you can follow us on Instagram at babeswithballs underscore podcast to keep up to date with all of our most recent episodes. Thanks, guys. Bye. See you soon.